I did not grow up in a place that had snow or snow days. So my first snow day as an adult, when I had first moved from Florida with no hills or snow to North Carolina that had a bit more snow, uh, there, there was a day, a snow day. School was canceled and I was told to go and buy a sled. So I went to Target and bought the most premium sled there was. I would not just go down on some trash bag or uh, a box or something like that. I had to have a premium sled. I was ready to do this. So I went to a garden with a large hill and I got to the top of the hill and I looked down and I thought, I can't do this, I can't do this. And the people who were with me who had lots of experience sledding down that hill said, you can do it. And I thought, no, no, I can't. So I, I waited there for a moment and I sat down and I got in the sled ready to go. And out of nowhere, I felt the hands of a young child come behind me and say, wake up and push me down the hill. Uh, so that is, that is my experience of that, that wake up, that be alert, keep watch, uh, throwing me down that hill out of nowhere. So when we hear this call today, this Advent, wake up, something is different, keep alert, you can do this, but it's different. It reminds me of that time, but it also reminds me of this hypervigilance that I feel I've been in for the last maybe nine months, waiting, scrolling, opening the paper, the news, waiting for something to change news to arrive, some kind of hope to come, a difference in the life. So here we are met with this apocalyptic gospel. The news, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, stars falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And what we should do, what Jesus is telling us is that we should be alert keep awake. There are these two words that he's oscillating between. Two Greek words that we struggle to translate. The first one, Gregoriou, it's where we get the name Gregory, which is often translated to keep awake or to be alert. And the second one is different. It is to not fall into sleep to keep awake, to not fall into sleep, for we don't know when the master of the house will come. And when I hear these alert, awake things, the, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. I have been ready, alert, waiting for so long. Why now in Advent? How is this waiting different even? In the Didache, this first century document uh, that was written uh, to teach about in the early Christian church about a bunch of different things, there is another account of this story, a story kind of like the low he comes with clouds descending story, this apocalyptic tale. And one way to translate the first line of it, how they describe it is this, keep vigil over your life. Keep vigil over your life. So back to the gospel today. There are all of these references, all of this calling back to all of these parables 
we've heard throughout Pentecost that do not end, like the tenants, like all of these stories, what the kingdom of heaven is like. And there are several moments that are mentioned, evening, midnight, cock crow, dawn. Why these four times? It was evening when the Last Supper took place. It was midnight during Peter's first denial. It was cockcrow when Peter denied Jesus. And it was dawn when Jesus was handed over to the Romans. This story is foreshadowing what will come, foreshadowing Jesus' passion. This is not the beginning of the story. This is toward the end. And what we get in Mark's gospel, the most painful part of the entire thing is Gethsemane. Gethsemane is the hardest tragedy that happens in Mark's gospel. And the reason is because Jesus' disciples are supposed to keep watch with him. They're supposed to be in prayer with him all night in this agony where he is waiting, where he is asking for something to be taken from him, but honestly, God's will should be done. Gethsemane is a place that we don't often think of when we're getting ready for Christmas. But Mark's gospel wants us to get back there, to think that when we get close to preparing for Christmas, we have to have a Gethsemane kind of hope. We have to embrace the world as a Gethsemane, gathered together around Jesus as the body of Christ, praying, able to look into the horror and the unknown and the suffering and the pain, and yet to trust that if we keep looking, if we keep staring into that abyss, that in the end there is not nothing. This is not without anything. At the bottom of this pain and suffering, we also see the face of Jesus. And that is what it means to be a Christian, to embrace the world as a kind of Gethsemane, to practice a Gethsemane kind of hope, a hope that feels different, maybe in a different key, if you will, a hope that is intense and alive and brave. But how can anyone keep awake, be alert, be on guard? Perhaps it is something like keeping vigil over your life. What is a vigil? What is a vigil? But a time in which people gather together for prayer, waiting. When I think about the times I've been at a vigil after a big event, after a death, in preparation for something amazing to come, I don't often remember there being instructions or teaching or a to-do list. 
there is awaiting a presence, an acknowledgement. Vigils are for staring into everything that might be overwhelming. And the very act of keeping vigil is about hope. It's refusing to try and escape or to numb ourselves. Keeping vigil is about staying alive, brave, and intensely present. There was a Dominican preacher, Herbert McCabe, who was known for talking about prayer and Jesus. And the thing he would go toward often was, you know, we think of Jesus as a great prayer, right? A prayer person praying. Um, We think of him as the one who knows how to pray to God. He gives us the Lord's Prayer, teaches us how to pray, right? The thing that we often miss, McCabe would say, is that Jesus isn't just an example of prayer. He's not just the best person praying. Jesus' life is sheer prayer. Jesus' life is sheer prayer. Thy will be done when the 5,000 are fed. Thy will be done when people are healed. Thy will be done even in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is sure, sheer prayer. Jesus' life is keeping vigil. I pride myself on having plans, good, concrete plans. Uh, I think that's how I fit into St. John's. The task forces and the committees here are incredibly well organized. I can always count on people to show up. There's there's no lack of follow through, and and that's such a gift. Um, And all of these strategies are meticulous and planned and thorough and intense, and what a gift in a community like this, to know that so many people can be counted on. I was talking to a friend recently who was observing St. John's from afar, was looking online and on the internet and over the YouTube and everything, and was watching over the last few months at how the community responded. And she started off sort of funny and said, it didn't seem like you knew what you were doing. Not a response that I wanted to hear. I like to know what I'm doing. Um, It didn't seem like you really knew what you were doing. Uh, But you saw the pain, you saw there was a need, and you did not go away from it. And that is what hope is. And I thought that witness was so important, that stumbling into hope being led into a place that we may not know where we are going, and yet we do not turn away from it. We do not try to look for an escape. Just as Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane does not try to escape. Advent begins today. It's about a God who says, I do not wish to know you in a numb way, in some sort of escape. I wish to attach my divinity to your humanity, to redeem that humanity from the sight of a womb. The God of the universe redeems every part of creation, not by 
wave of a magic wand far away, but instead by attaching to us. And the hope of Advent does not mean that we have to numb ourselves or escape our present moment. Christians have been training for this moment, this moment of hope. We do not have to oscillate between our longings for what last year was like and our longings for what next year is like. We are called to hope now. And the hope of Advent is that our Redeemer, all of our redemption happens because God chose to make a home in a cramped, dark womb, transforming the body of Mary into the portal of heaven. The prophet Isaiah's people call out to God we hear today. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. And here's the thing. God wants to do this. God does this again and again, and it is shown most fully in Mary's womb, in which the heavens have been torn open. God has come down. God's way of coming down to us is this. Hope in the middle of chaos. Trust in God's redeeming of it all. Mary exemplifies Gethsemane hope and calls us all to that kind of hope today. Our Redeemer enters human life very close to human desires, fears, longings, living inside another human body filled with hormones and blood and guts and hunger and feelings real feelings even simultaneously happening of anger and joy and sadness and confusion and amazement and fear. None of it is numb. All of it is fully alive and completely holy. If you have fallen asleep and you only hear one part of this sermon, this is the part I want you to hear. This ending is the bottom line. I leave you with three ways to live in that deep Gethsemane hope this Advent. Keep vigil over your life this season. The Christ child and his mother Mary rejoice with your delight and ache with your pain. Keep vigil over the lives of those who are in any kind of need this season. The Christ child and his mother Mary cherish them. Keep vigil over every single person who has been lost this year. The Christ child and his mother Mary welcome them into life everlasting. Amen.